0: Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface, I'm Jared Fuller and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On today's episode, I am talking to the architecture critic Mark Lampster. Mark currently is the architecture critic at the Dallas Morning News and a professor in the architecture school at the University of Texas Arlington and is currently writing a biography of the late great architect Philip Johnson. In this conversation, Mark and I talked about his early interest in wanting to be a writer uh, and going to on to work as an editor at Princeton Architectural Press, and how making books is a lot like making architecture. And then we also talk about what it's like to work as a critic at a daily newspaper and how to write about architecture or you know just the the built environment uh, for a general audience like that. I really enjoyed this conversation. I love Mark's writing and his approach to his work. And I think his position at a newspaper like that is a sort of different profession than the other full-time critics or writers that I've talked to on previous episodes. So I think uh, he brings a sort of unique perspective and writes for a different type of audience that uh, we don't always talk about on this podcast. And I think uh, talking about that just led to a really great conversation about how graphic design criticism could operate in similar modes. So I think this was a a really fun and interesting conversation. So here is my conversation with Mark Lampster. I kind of wanted to start. I'm very interested in people who are are critics, whether it's architecture or art or movies about where their interest in the subject came from or where um, was it an interest in kind of writing and criticism or was it an interest in the subject and so I don't know much about your background and thought that might be an interesting place to start was it you know where did that kind of interest in architecture come from or writing about architecture?
1: Well, I grew up in Manhattan uh, in New York City. so. I was surrounded by buildings and urban space and was always, you know, completely interested in it uh, and its history uh, and that built environment. Um, So I guess I just sort of came to it naturally that way. Um, When I was an undergraduate, I studied writing, and then in graduate school, I studied architectural history. So I like to say that the only thing in the world that I'm actually qualified to do is write about architecture. (laughs) So thankfully, I have this job.
0: Where, when you were in, I'm kind of curious, when you were in undergrad studying writing, were you thinking you wanted to write about architecture then, or what was your... Not at all.
1: Okay. Not at all. I wasn't sure what I was gonna do or what I wanted to do. Um and the college I went to uh didn't have an architecture pro program and it didn't really have much even architectural history in its art history department. Um so I wasn't sure. I was really interested in sports. I actually started in sports journalism oh wow uh writing and and uh on in the television side actually my first job out of college was making highlight films for sports center on espn which was oh, wow definitely the worst six months of my life <laughs> uh very quickly uh during that decided that there was not anything i wanted to do and and applied to graduate school while, while i was doing that um to study
0: art history and architecture in particular. And so was it in, I guess, was it in graduate school where those kind of interests in, in writing and architecture came together? Or were you kind of thinking you wanted to be an architect? I'm kind of, I'm, I'm just trying to like kind of piece these things together a little bit. I was more interested in the academic side of it. I was okay. thinking I would, I would go
1: into academia perhaps, Um, in architectural history. Um, But what happened was that I just, um, I got tired of being in graduate school and wanted to get out into the world and to make things. I didn't want to be an architect, but um, so I'd been accepted to a PhD program after my master's program. But uh, I just delayed it and moved back to New York City and started working in, in publishing.
2: Okay.
1: Um, because I like the idea of making making things, making objects, books. Mm-hmm. I love books. I love writing um, and working with authors. So that was really sort of the, the perfect spot. And I always thought like uh, of making books is uh, a lot like making architecture and that you start with an idea and that it's this collaborative process, and eventually you end up with this physical object that people right. can respond to. Right. Um, the difference being that in in publishing, you can make a lot of them every day. <laughs> right. Every every not every day, but I mean, you can make a lot of them in, in yeah. a year. Uh,
0: whereas uh, architecture is a lot and more you can,
1: challenging process. And you
0: can start. You can start younger, also. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Also you're, you're working
1: with ideas immediately, basically instead of, um, doing plumbing details. Uh, right. Also, so I I, decided being an architect was, I just, I I don't have that facility or desire to do that. So, um, but yeah, so working with authors and books was, that was what I sort of perfect for me. And gradually, I started working at a publisher called George Braziller, sort of small, independent, distinguished publisher of um, fiction, but mostly illustrated books. Uh, And then I quickly switched to Princeton Architectural Press, where I stayed for a very long time and loved. Um, But it was at at Princeton Architectural Press where I started doing my own writing as well and eventually that, uh, turned into a full, a full-time occupation, uh, that rather than, uh, something I did on the side right. while I was being an editor.
0: Right. Okay. Yeah. I was curious about that because I actually didn't know that you were at Princeton until I was kind of researching you for this, for this conversation. Um, so are you still, are you still involved with them in a editing capacity, or are you now kind of full-time your own writing?
1: No. I, well, I'm friendly with the, the people there. It always <laughs> will be a, a part right. of me. Right. But, no, I'm, I am I uh, am an employee of the Dallas Morning News and the University of Texas at Arlington, where uh, I teach and write criticism.
0: Okay. Um, you know, I'm interested in, in your work at the Dallas Morning News because um, – you know, you're writing about architecture for a daily newspaper, basically. And I'm and that uh, I mean, I'll just I'll just say I I hate saying this, it sounds bad, but that's not as common as it used to be to have a newspaper with a with an architecture critic. And I'm curious, kind of, I have a bunch of questions around that. But I'm curious about how you think about writing for a newspaper like that? Um, And do you consider, you know, how you think about the type of writing that you do there? Is it, how much of it is criticism versus kind of journalism versus kind of theory and how you kind of parse that out um, for the newspaper?
1: Well, I try and write Uh, One of the nice things about writing for the paper is that I get to sort of uh, Write all different kinds and types of stories Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, it's important to I like I mean, I could write just a bunch of Criticism, but I like to to do different things. So I'll write criticism. I'll write some news uh, Which is probably my least favorite thing to do, but I'll i will um, but I try and do more long-form,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, narrative-style writing than uh, your typical newspaper critic. Um, so I've written sort of these long, detailed uh, feature stories. Uh, try and do a couple a year, or at least one. Um, and I really enjoy those sort of d- deep dives um, into something that I find
2: mm-hmm.
1: particularly interesting, a lost history or what have you. I think that's important at a paper like the news to sort of, um, and in a place like Dallas, to sort of highlight the history and the built environment as something that um, is special and and, and interesting beyond just uh, the the cycle of of the moment and the next and the new. Right. Um, So. Uh, I, I like doing all these different forms, whether it's a short piece or a long piece or et cetera. And it, it's nice that I, I have an opportunity to do that.
0: Yeah, I think one of my favorite recent pieces of yours, which, I think this came out last year, and I think it was for, for Dallas Morning News. I know you write, in addition to that, you write for a lot of other publications, but it was your piece on Robert Irwin and uh, Marfa. Was that last year? <sighs>
1: I think that's almost two years ago now. Yeah. Okay. That 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 actually has that installation has opened. uh, At this point, so this story about uh, for the listener is a story about a Robert Irwin installation uh, at uh, in Marfa at the um, uh, Donald Judd's uh, Chinati Foundation there. And uh, basically, uh, it's a story about the, the the piece is set in this um, old uh, hospital building that had become a ruin, and was very much beloved by uh, the people of Marfa. Uh, and Jud, uh, not Judd, excuse me, Irwin decided he would make his piece in this. Um, old, right. decrepit, declining ruin uh, of a building. But when they started to do that, they realized they'd have to completely destroy the building. Right. And it became a preservation case. Um, and they ended up just destroying the building and then rebuilding it. Right, right. Uh, um, to Irwin's specifications, uh, which... It was a kind of very odd thing to do as far as I was concerned, especially because Chinati owns like a gajillion mm-hmm. acres of land, including the lot right next to it. So right. you, they could have just built the thing right next door to it rather than destroying the, the beloved thing, but they didn't. Um, uh, in any case, the, the piece has now opened uh, since I wrote that story. Um, has been uh, very well reviewed. I, I love Irwin's work. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting uh, a story from that perspective, um, but it's so it was a story about conflict and um, Marfa is a curious town where that is a, was an old sort of Texas down on its heels border town that has been sort of invaded by uh, art people. So there's this inherent tension uh, in, in in the place.
0: Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that piece was two years old, I think that was one of the first pieces where I really started following your work because I also am a big Robert Irwin fan, but very much kind of fell on the side that you did also, and just thought that that piece did a really excellent job of kind of blending criticism with some history, with even a little bit of kind of activism around preservation and and things like that. Um, I'm interested in kind of how, I don't want this to sound overly simplistic, but I'm Maybe we can use this piece, or if you want to speak more generally, just about your process in writing something, writing a piece like that. Um, you know, are you pitching these stories? Are are you kind of being asked to write about specific things, and then you know, are you kind of visiting locations? Like, what's what's that kind of process like for you?
1: Uh, usually, I choose my own stories. Sometimes, okay. in collaboration with an editor might make a suggestion um too many i think too often you know critics are sort of fed stories right. by you know it's the next new thing the museum everybody goes to, right. to to the next new place and that was actually an interesting story where i felt like there was some big opening of something somewhere else. And I decided to zag while everybody else zigged. And I would right. write that story because everybody else was going to cover the opening of whatever it was that right. week. Um, Interesting. Which is important to do also. I mean, I also like to cover those important things. Sometimes I'll, I'll do it a little later than, hmm. uh, cause I don't think it, matter so much to be there the first week when they have the press unveiling for a new museum or something it's right. almost detrimental because you get this very privileged view and no one's in it you don't really see how the building works right, um, right. you're supposed to come up with some uh, analysis of, of of the building and whether it's good or not and you haven't really seen it function yet um, yeah that's sort of one of the inherent difficulties in Architecture criticism is that you know the the medium is so much about time, right? And how do you mm-hmm. so the, the the day something opens is almost the, the worst right, <laughs> um, right, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: moment to review a building, but that's when we're basically forced to do it um, by the nature of of the um, of the industry of, of and publishing. Uh, And for good reason. I mean, people are interested, Um, but it's just uh, one of the difficulties we face as a you know a sort of contradiction, a paradox that uh,
0: critics face. And I, you know, I'm I'm someone who's not really involved in architecture at all, other than being a a fan of it and being a fan of reading about it. Um, But I know, you know, recently I've seen a lot of kind of discussion. And this is related to what you were just saying, but a lot of discussion kind of about uh, renderings and whether critics should be writing about a rendering of a building before it's actually been built. And I'm curious, kind of, how you think about your role in all of those kinds of discussions and your role f- kind of for the audience. Um, you know, whether you should be looking at renderings and writing about those versus the opening day versus five years after the building's in place kind of how do you think where do you think they like you're best suited to really talk about architecture intelligently
1: well i think you have to do it everywhere there's i think you do need to talk about renderings um because a lot of times they're going to be how projects are presented right and uh in order to respond um to what that that project is going to be and how it's going to exist Um, you need to be able to comment intelligently and the basis for your commentary is going to be some rendering Mm -hmm. now the the flip side of that i think is knowing how to look at a rendering um and see what's actually happening in it Mm -hmm. to the best that you possibly can see what's hidden and what's not what you're being shown and what you're what you're being shown and what you're not being shown. And then, you know, being able to communicate that um, uh, to the public, because obviously a lot of these renderings are basically their sales tools, they're promotional tools. Right. Um, and sometimes what you're being sold isn't uh, necessarily the bill of goods that you, that you want to buy or that's best for the city. So as a critic, you sort of, it's your job to say, hey, you know, you put a halt on this, and it's challenging because you know, obviously, they, people are really good at making renderings, and they're very good at making renderings from the angle that don't, that doesn't show right. where the disaster is. Or, right. You know, typically it's high up, and everything's it's high up, so you don't see uh, what's going on at street level, where most people will experience a building, and it's everything's shiny and pretty, right. and right. Um, there's always. Trees everywhere and people walking with strollers and you know, there are a, a zillion cliches and then, but you know, as you start paying attention to the actual there, that's there, you start to say, well, wait, that couldn't happen and this couldn't happen, right? Cause there's no gravity there's no reality in a rendering it's just, it's just invention. It doesn't need to answer to the real world. Right. Uh, that the building will eventually answer to. And, therein lies the problems
0: how do you think about that for for writing for a newspaper and you know i i was at i've only been to dallas once and i was you know like seven years old so i don't really remember kind of ever being in dallas so i don't really know anything about it uh but i'm curious about how you think about kind of Writing about these types of things for an audience that I imagine might not know a lot about architecture um, You know, how, how do you make something that's accessible and understandable? But also isn't something that's kind of dumbed down and oversimplified
1: I don't think you need to condescend to a, I think I just try and explain things clearly uh, As best as I can and when I see something that I think is deceptive Uh, talk about it. I think the issue with Dallas is that uh, there are sort of conventions that people are used to. It's a very corporate town, so people are used to corporate architecture, used to not challenging the status quo in many ways. (laughs) So they see a pretty rendering, and it's a pretty rendering, and hey, great, that's the next new thing. It's pretty. Um, uh, And that's not because they're uh not intelligent or
2: um, right, bad right, people yeah. or whatever
1: it's just you know that's that's the culture um and that's why I'm there is to say wait hold it
2: because mm-hmm.
1: um, I think they're I mean the reason my job exists is I think because people at the paper and the culture and the, the community just the world are like hey things are going crazy here let's have someone talk about this right. And, and uh, write about this this place that we're building and what it is.
0: Do, are you? I, I'm 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 interested in kind of the almost the flip side of that now, and kind of how you think about, or or maybe not even you specifically, but architecture critics in general, relationship to kind of the architecture profession. Um, and are you? Th- Thinking about or writing for or what value does kind of this type of writing have for practicing architects?
1: Well, uh, you're there to challenge them on the one hand to Mm. build the best designs they can, the most urban friendly design, the the, the best designs for the city and for uh, the people who live in it. Uh, so, on the one hand, you're there to challenge and you can castigate. Uh, but on the other hand, um, you know, you're generally on the same quote-unquote team, right? I mean, when it comes to larger issues um, in the urban landscape, architects are, you know, pretty much uh, fighting the same fight, mm-hmm. uh, that the critic is and and in, in a way it's the the job of the critic to be the voice of the profession mm. uh, in some ways uh and to speak about it uh in, in 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 public um so you have a kind of a mixed relationship uh with uh I guess not be the voice of the profession as in as a professional, like as in the AIA, but you're the right. voice, you're the voice of a sort of architecture, right? Yeah. So well, okay, as, a, as a thing or urban design, shall we say. Um, so you're 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 an advocate. Uh, so those that's often aligned with the professional uh, and the architects, uh, you're often aligned. They're your biggest reader they're the people who read you the, the most right, uh, right carefully critically uh they're the ones who are you're likely to criticize they're the ones you're likely to praise but in the end you're probably you're all in the same boat right it's this small group of people who really are desperately care about and pay attention to the urban environment um so you kind of have this uh this real, this dual relationship with them uh with the with the profession and you try and I always try and maintain a close you know and good relationships but you can't get yeah. and then of course you know it's a natural that you develop close friendships within uh, the friend uh, the profession so you have your friends and um, it's, a, it's it can be complicated Right, sure. right,
0: Yeah, I mean, and I, I have one more question kind of just regarding writing, and it's actually kind of related to that, because uh, I know you've also, in addition to kind of your more cr- critical work or, or the work for the newspaper, that you've written a couple books and that I I think you're working on a book about Philip Johnson now?
1: Correct. Yes. Well, uh, it should be out in hopefully in about a year. Okay. I finished it after about almost eight years writing it. So oh, wow. It's, um, Finally, turned it in just recently. Okay. Congratulations. Uh, was, thank you. So, yes, that was, has been the um, burden I've been carrying around. The monkey on my back has been this okay. giant uh, biography of, of Philip Johnson, who is a fascinating, contradictory character.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: yes, so that has been my other job.
0: And, and eight years you said you've been working on it?
1: Took about that long, yeah. Okay
0: how is that different? I mean, obviously, time wise, it's different and scope is different. But how is writing a biography about a figure, and especially a figure like Johnson, different than, you know, kind of reviewing a building? Like, do you have to approach that subject differently? And is your writing process different in approaching something like that?
1: I try not to think about process too. To okay. Catch, frankly, I just okay. do. Okay. Um, that's, that's but nice. yeah, it's a different kind of writing, I guess. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of something incredibly clever to say about it. But yeah, obviously, it's a it's a it's a long book. It's a long life. Johnson Johnson's life was basically the an entire American century that. 20th century. Right? He lived in 98 years.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um. So you can see this incredibly broad breadth of things to write about. Um. So it's it's about a person, but it's also about buildings because he was right. in many ways about buildings. Um. I think in any uh, the, the case in the job in either case is to keep people interested, right? You know, to make right make uh, make something that can be not accessible accessible and compelling that's always always the goal and the audience is a little different for a newspaper and a book mm-hmm. um, the form is a little different not that different i mean, right. um, I try to th- kind of think good writing is good writing and, right yeah, um, yeah for sure I try not to think too much about uh, my process or things like that and I'm kind of there are all these biography workshops and right I, I tend not to go to those and um, there, there are lots of tutorials about writing <laughs> and, 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 and yeah. you know you can read all these books about how to write and every one of them will you know tell you this is the way to do it and then another one will tell you this is the way to do it and everybody just has to find their own way. Or you can't really have someone right, tell right, you yeah. how to do it, um, and I try to avoid them now because if I ever like um, listen to one, it would just throw me, and I you know end up you know stuck figuring I'd done everything wrong yeah, all this time, yeah. and
2: now right. I
1: have to reinvent. <laughs> right. What am I gonna do? Yeah, I, guess, uh, I don't I, I don't need to question myself. I just need to, to
0: focus. Right. So, yeah. I guess I guess kind of what I was thinking about maybe is less of a process question and I guess I mean and and I'm obviously going to buy this book when it comes out I'm fascinated by Johnson but I I guess kind of what I was curious about is you know how much of this sounds kind of stupid to say it like this but how much of you is in in the book or in that writing or, or how much of your opinion versus how much of it is kind of just telling his story as opposed to Writing a review of a building where you are specifically saying, you know, this is what I think about this, or this is what this building means in this environment. Do you know? Does that, I don't know if that makes sense.
2: It makes sense.
1: Um, it's, you know, well, every book is its own autobiography in a right, way. Right, right. Um, and I'll leave that to you. Um, <laughs> uh, actually I think that's one of the things that makes Johnson a, a kind of compelling figure and why people hate him so much mm-hmm. is uh, he had all these advantages and right. uh, he kind of kept blowing through them um, and most people don't get those advantages and they don't get second chances and he got a lot of them uh, and that beyond all of his other mishigas uh, that i think can be really i mean that you can make makes people jealous i mean because most people don't have these things and i think uh, you can start feeling angry about that and a lot of his i think it's easy to see your own um you know what were his weaknesses? He, he questioned himself. Um, was yeah uh, He was insecure, right? And right. we all have insecurities. So it's when you see someone else who's insecure, it's really easy to sort of um, get angry at that person and to despise that person as a way of sort of a projection, right? I right. think so. You can project all of the your own disappointments and anger about your own problems onto him because he's so publicly uh, right. uh, you know, made, made so public his own experience with these things of being insecure, getting all these second chances that no one else can. So I think in that way it's easy to, to, to see yourself
0: in, in him. That's interesting.
1: Um, I don't remember exactly where this question began. Oh, where do you, where do you, how do you put criticism into this? Yeah, right. I mean, I think you, you I, I try to write critically, especially about his buildings whether I love them or hate them, how okay. they work, how they didn't work. Um, but it's not just criticism. Your writing has a style. Um, right. I try and write with, I mean, I have a, I try and write with the sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, have it be, have some paste, um, yeah. uh, have it be, oh, I don't want to <laughs> sit there. And, uh, right, 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 yeah, right, right, no, no, right, yeah. Things that I want to try and do, but, you know, you also want to try and have it, have some spirit of your subject in there for right. me. Um, there was a previous biography of Johnson, uh, was written while he was still alive, mm. um, uh, and I think he hated it, and I think one of the reasons why he hated it was because he didn't feel like he could see himself in it. He didn't – it was this very uh, – and it's an excellent book, actually, um, a little dated now, but it's an excellent book. Um, it's just that you don't feel Johnson in it right. because it's huh. a very academic uh, style of writing. Um and that's just, it didn't, it, it had trouble capturing Johnson's Johnsonness, Right. Um, and I think
2: oh,
0: you want
1: to be able to, you want to be able to feel that yeah, uh, in this book.
0: Oh, that's so. so interesting. Yeah, I can't, I mean, I can't wait. That sounds great. I'm, I'm very excited for that. I want to, I want to kind of step back a little bit and talk about Kind of architecture and criticism and, and writing a little bit in a, a little bit of a more general sense. Uh, you wrote a piece recently about architecture criticism in the digital age, which I really liked and is something that I've been thinking about a lot as it relates to graphic design, which is you know essentially what this podcast is about. And I'm curious how the internet and social media and Instagram has, has that changed both how you think about the work that you do and, but then also kind of the role of the critic at large and what they kind of bring to the conversation?
2: Well,
1: I think you have to be attentive to the changing nature of just the modes of distribution Mm -hmm. at this point. Um, I think there's just a lot more ways for a critic to communicate with the public than there were in the past. And we're doing one right now, a podcast. Right. Um, and this is great. Um, so when I see people lamenting, you know, the death of (laughs) architecture criticism, first of all, just, just, Criticism has been in crisis from the moment <laughs> right. the first critic started writing criticism, which, right. you know, right. basically since lucky, like, uh, there was a guy who rubbed two sticks together about fire. And then there was a guy you know, right. next to him around, you know, sitting there saying that, you know, the guy didn't know how to rub the, the sticks together <laughs> properly. And, yeah. and also, um, God, how much there's not enough people like me uh, <laughs> right. complaining about this. Yeah. Um, so since so since Irk, you know, complained about the fire stick rubbing, critics have been concerned about criticism, um, which is not to say there are completely justifiable things to be concerned about um, uh, right now, uh, but it is a there is a history, yeah. um, so uh, I think it's the, the you know you have to understand. There's positives, which is that we get um, all these different modes of
2: mm.
1: of communication, and I think you need to be attentive to them. And that within writing, um, within the you, the newspaper form, for example, uh, it is becoming digital, and that's a challenge in terms of uh monetization for the corporations for a critic um it makes you know your job is endangered on the one hand on the other uh there more there's more opportunity to integrate photography video audio um all these other different things uh into the kinds of work that you do and the danger is that we you know all end up doing you know uh, or we all end up unemployed or we all end up, you know 10 new buildings you need to see right, right. Uh, and you won't believe number three <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that's that's the danger yeah um, so uh, and the different critical mediums you know I think it's different for music critics and theater critics and architecture critics and film critics they're all slightly different um uh, you know some are more po- have more popular mediums some have yeah. a more of a, a service component some have uh, temporal issues that they have have to deal with so it's, it's a little different for for each one and I think it also it's important to recognize how much larger the field has grown mm-hmm. um, in terms now that there are websites so there's a website for every, everything and there's like everyone has a place can find a place on the internet um that that doesn't that doesn't equal uh or that shouldn't that really can't um be a substitute for the newspaper critic in a major metropolitan area right there's a service there's a real service to what we do and that's why i I sort of was excited to do this job in Dallas because I think that that's an important role that that critic plays um, speaking to the public about uh, the city.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's interesting because, you know, I'm I'm thinking about I'm kind of taking what you're saying and putting the lens of the graphic designer or graphic design criticism on top of that. And I I, it, it all still works, and I think in a lot of ways, I started this podcast and and kind of went to graduate school with this sense that design, graphic design criticism maybe was in some sort of crisis or that we needed more of it, and that through talking to people, I've realized that it's not that it's in crisis or it's not that we need more of it but that the kind of criticism I'm craving is something that's kind of deeper and richer and more expansive and less kind of quick and the kind of hot take and but you know something that looks at history and looks at how it kind of affects the environment and the culture that it was created within and I think uh, I think that's the kind of work that you do a lot of times, um, that kind of richer, deeper work. And I think architecture critics, architecture criticism at a whole kind of grapples with that uh, a lot more than than a lot of design criticism does. Does does all of that content change how you feel like you have to write or are you still you're kind of like aware of that and you're just you're doing your your thing
1: i try and i'm aware of these i try and do my thing i look yeah. at graphic design that's really um it's hard it's hard to be a really um there aren't It's it because architecture seems to have created a larger critical maybe it's easier to write about. I feel like the the number of people who can write and I, I you know I spent a lot of time editing books about graphic design. Yeah. Um, um and there are critics uh, so it's interesting most of the g- good graphic design writing is aimed at graphic designers
2: right. whereas
1: most architecture criticism that we're talking about is aimed at you know the public audience and there aren't that many uh, I, gu- I guess there are a few um, Michael Beirut mm-hmm. you know uh, uh, Alan Lupton they're, right. they're sort of capable of you know getting out outside of that bubble of graphic design, but a lot of the best, you know, does graphic design criticism, like, you know, you're not, the, the guy walking down the street isn't going to read Eric Speakerman or right. Robin Kinross. <laughs> right. Um, right. and I love them, you know, they're just yeah. fabulous, fabulous. Right. You know, Rick Pointer, you know, yeah. someone who can get out. Um, but you know, the Rick's and the Michaels and the Ellen's are, or are rare breed. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit of a different, I guess I may be wrong here. I'm sure there are many, there are many more, um, wonderful graphic design writers who, who are capable of, of yeah of doing more. It's just that the, that there isn't necessarily the, um, the, the, the audience at newspapers for it. Maybe that there, there should be more, I think for sure. Um, I, I, instead of, you know, just arguing about, you know, the, the latest logo. Right, right. Uh, although, you know, Paul Lucas does a fabulous job on Uniwatch. Right? Yeah. I mean, writing about design for the public. That's a great example yeah. of a, a, a someone I think does a, a fabulous job, a terrific writer. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so I guess I'm wrong. I think there are plenty of... I, I'm going to just retract this whole, <laughs> this whole idea. There are wonderful, many, many, many wonderful graphic design writers. There really are. Um, but, you know, I try and think of the venues for... Uh, yeah. a mainstream, non-graphic design-oriented places, and it's a little more challenging. So architecture criticism, um, by those standards, is a great business. Right,
0: right. <laughs> well, so I, I, I want to... I have a couple more questions just to kind of wrap it up, but I do want to kind of pick apart a little bit of what you just said, because I think that gets to the heart of a lot of the things that I think about and a lot of the conversations that I have on this podcast. And, and one of them is that a lot of graphic design writing is kind of written inwardly and written kind of for the profession. Uh, Not to say that there isn't some, I think you're exactly right, that there are, there is that, Kind of general public writing that happens, but it is more, it's it's rarer, and so I, I guess I'm I'm curious as somebody who writes about architecture, but is also very close to graphic design and kind of familiar with design writing, and I don't I don't mean to put you on the spot with this question, but I'm wondering if your thoughts on on what design writers could learn or take from kind of, you know, the great architecture critics or, or architecture writing for that kind of audience, are there things that could translate to, to graphic design?
1: Well, great writing is great writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think trying to figure out how to, um, tell compelling stories, is is basically the most important thing. Have have humor. Mm-hmm. Have um, I don't I don't um, just good writing is good writing for me. Right. Um, and there, um, so that is what I will say there. <laughs> I don't I don't know what lessons architecture criticism can give. Graphic design criticism, or vice versa. I think they're both, they're people who do a great job in both, and there are some people who don't in both. And I mean, the truth is also that both need to have, you know, there is always going to be graphic design criticism and architecture criticism that is inward directed, that is for the profession and not for the public, because these are disciplines that. Uh, these are professional disciplines um, and the practitioners do need like a, right. a theor- theoretics a, a theoretical practice and they need people to help uh, need they need criticism to, to navigate that practice um, and so not all criticism should be you know aimed at at, yeah. the, at, the, at the general public
2: yeah
1: um, that said it, I think good writing should always be legible, no matter what. So even, I mean, that was my challenge when you're an editor. You want even the even the theoretical writing intended right. uh, for the practitioners it needs to be it needs to be good. And yeah. sometimes that, that it's not, and that's its own separate problem. But that that's right. a little right. bit different than what you're talking about.
2: Right.
0: I I want to say something that I've been thinking about recently, and I just kind of want to throw it out to you. I don't know if there's a, a question in it, but I'm curious. Hearing you kind of talk through a little bit of this is making some connections with some other things that I've been thinking about. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious if you have any thoughts around this. But something that, that I've been thinking about is that a lot of the best kind of graphic design criticism for a general audience is almost at such a large scale that it's almost doesn't even feel like it's talking about graphic design anymore. And so I'm thinking about, you know, there's been in the last year, there's been a lot of great uh, pieces around fake news and how kind of design has played a role in that or around Uh, kind of digital products like, you know, Facebook and Google and privacy and, and the role of design in that. And it's almost like when these issues get so big, they almost don't even seem like design problems anymore. And they start to become things about technology or politics or something, you know, something that design is a part of, but it's bigger. And I'm, this, this might be a loose connection, but I've also been thinking a lot about Stephen Levy's piece in Wired about the new Apple campus and that Apple had a technology critic write about their new building. And it's almost this kind of blending of disciplines. Um, And so, so yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't know if there's a question in there, uh, but I was just curious if you kind of had any thoughts around that or if that kind of sparks anything for you
1: well i think this is how design criticism can expand its purview right and needs to expand its very its purview um to write about things like politics and to Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um show how these technologies um shape our the way we behave and uh live um i think in, in many ways not only is it our responsibility to talk about them but design and architecture critics can be very grateful for them because I think companies like, you know, Apple and Google um, target Mm -hmm. uh, have put design, made design something that everybody talks about. Right. Right, Yeah. Started in the nineties, I think, you know, you know, I always felt like design thinking as a, you know, as a, me as a as a discipline such as it is you know is the is the product of apple and frank Gehry, right you know and maybe target
2: yeah
1: um people started realizing the design you could could shape the way they live and everybody has this incredibly designed object in their hand right um in in a in a smartphone whatever brand it is um so i think you know that gives us an opportunity um, you know design criticism yeah an opportunity to, to talk about what those things mean and how they function um, that maybe I haven't taken enough advantage of maybe maybe we need more and with sort of that I know there's a, a large critique about you know tech criticism and how it's too much about you know how does this work right? Uh, and what's the cool new function here and not the fact, you know, broader issues about what how these uh, what these devices are doing in terms of right. shaping uh, the way we relate to each other and privacy issues. And um, uh, so I think that, that those are design issues and in some ways, architecture issues that we should all be Thinking about and offer a great place for a design critic to, to to come in and step in and and write.
0: Yeah, that leads perfectly into what my final question for you is, and I was kind of interested in, um, and this also really ties back to kind of our very, the very beginning of the discussion about kind of working with books and ideas. I'm interested in what topics or ideas you're really interested in right now or you're kind of wanting to write more about as it relates to architecture and design and the built world what are the what are the things that are that you're excited about right now?
1: Well I've been sort of in this academic bubble for the last year right. up uh, uh, do on a fellowship. So I'm excited to get back to yeah. Dallas and dig deep into there's sort of this urban problems that Dallas has and sort of wrestle with these, uh, issues. That's, you know, uh, housing, that's our big public infrastructure issues, parks, um, some issues, uh, native to Dallas that need to be talked about, uh, Mm -hmm. corporate architecture and, uh, bringing some new inventiveness to the city and, So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, But I'm also really looking forward to talking. I I mean, if there's anything that this year has given me, I I took it to really concentrate on urban, on, you know, urban policy and urban issues. And it reminded me how um, excited I am about architecture itself. And I think in the last couple of years, architecture has become a bad word.
2: Um,
1: I was recently at um, a Harvard bookstore up here and the the shelf that they used to have all the the monographs for the architects on is now just books about the city, the new city, this, the city, that, the happy city, the the smart city, the happy city, uh, the gilded, whatever, all these different city books. And, the new focus on urbanism is fabulous and, you know, better streets and a better um, uh, making better urban environments that are more equitable, uh, and, you know, with better mobility, et cetera. You know, yeah. this progressive ideas about the city are, are fabulous. And they're what I came up here to study and what I want to spend most of my time or a lot of my time writing about, but I think uh, often the sort of, um, Bogeyman, unfortunately, in these uh, texts, is, is architecture and the architect, big bad architect, made by architecture stars, and all they're interested right. in is their forms and yeah. and uh, and you know that cost so much money and uh, um and I really I kind of obviously that 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 is uh, a thing yeah but um, but I really do. Uh, love uh, the, the subject of, of architecture and beautiful buildings uh, and interesting buildings and I do think architects are not the enemy they're, uh, they're kind of uh, solution uh, finders yeah. and um, uh, I think embracing them and looking at their work and looking at buildings and seeing how they work is really Exciting, And uh, um, I lament that um, we've allowed architects to become the enemy too much, and I don't think they should be at all, um, which is not that they're above criticism. Um, so I'm excited to, to look at really wonderful buildings and write about them, and I just hope that we can have more of them, yeah. uh, especially in Dallas.
0: Yeah. I love that. I think that is a perfect way to end this. Mark, thank you so much for talking with me. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what you write next. I'm looking forward to the book. And I thought this was such an interesting conversation. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure for me. Um,
1: congratulations. on I guess it's an anniversary of the podcast. So um, yeah, uh, good on you. And uh, thank you. Congratulations. Thanks. Pleasure.
0: This episode was recorded on June 28th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.